This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and for the last two years, I have had the honor to host this show for the National Speakers Association. And today is a very special episode. This is episode number 100. We hear all the cheering in the background. We've done 100 episodes of Speakernomics, and today we're going to bring to you a special guest. We have with us Lee Robert, and she is the daughter of the National Speakers Association founder, Cavett Robert. Lee, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. This is great. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, and thank you for being the special guest on episode number 100. And today, we're going to talk to something that's really important, I think, for people who've made a career in the speaking business, and that is how to leave a legacy. And of course, your father certainly left a legacy with founding this organization and so many other things that he did. But Lee, what are your two tips for speakers on how to leave a legacy? I think the first tip, I'm stealing it from our NSA list. And the first is abundant generosity, having the mindset of an abundant generosity. And the second tip? And the second tip is have the long game in mind for your career. Ooh, well, this is going to be fun. So for those of you who don't know Lee Robert, she is a professional singer and she is also a speaker. She is an amazing award-winning speaker who developed sort of her own style that she calls cowgirl jazz. And it's a combination of blues, jazz, and Western swing. And she has performed this all over the world. And as I said, she's also a speaker. And let's face it, she came by it honestly because her father was Cavett Robert. And she actually went into business with him for 12 years and learned so much, not just from Cavett, but from everybody who she encountered in the National Speakers Association. So let's talk about your father a little bit, Lee. I never had the honor, because I've only been in NSA since 2008, I never had the honor to meet your father, but so many people speak so fondly about just what a great man he was, what a great speaker he was, and obviously the influence that he had on this industry. So being his daughter, what, what can you tell us about Cavett? Well, I asked him early on, I did write a book with him and asked him if he had his life to live over again, what would he do differently? And he said, I would have started NSA earlier. He said, I had no way of knowing that it would grow to such an organization worldwide. That was his baby. And even as it changed and grew over the years, Tom, People would come up to him. By the way, he never uh, voted on the board of directors. He said, I never want to vote. I never want anybody to think that the reason I started this organization was to get more speeches for myself. He wanted to raise the standard of professional speaking. And so that was the first rule that he made for himself. He also, when people would say, well, what do you think, Cabot? Everything's changing so much. It isn't like it used to be, blah, blah, blah. And he was saying, you know, and this is the kind of wisdom that he had, Tom. He would say, I look at NSA like a teenage daughter. <laughs> I was probably a teenager <laughs> at the time. He said, you just have to let them let it go. Let it go and grow on its own, hoping that the principles and values that you laid the foundation for early in life will come into play and that they will 
be a success because of that foundation. So he knew it would change and grow. And look at how wonderful. He never knew that we'd be doing Zoom. <laughs> He's looking over my shoulder. But, Dad, <laughs> did you ever... Did you ever realize that we would be doing Zoom? I don't think so. But he loved technology. He never could have predicted the world of NSA's podcast, Speakernomics. But but here we are talking about him, talking to his daughter. And one of the things I love is this idea of him saying as things change, hey, it's okay. It's going to evolve. It's going to change. We have a great foundation. I think that's actually a wonderful lesson for everybody in the speaking industry and certainly everybody who's involved with NSA today as we go through changes again with the National Speakers Association morphing and growing. I think that's a wonderful message for us all to stop and think about for just a minute is as we face these changes, it's not good or bad. It's part of the growth of the organization. So I I love that. Yes, and he loved technology. You know, he was one of the early uh, slide projector kind of guys. And, I mean, that was really cutting edge back then. Slides with a little 45 (laughs) uh, record and and recorders and stuff. He loved all that. That was high tech back then. So, Lee, your dad, I've I've researched him over the years because I've been super active for the last 14 years in the National Speakers Association. And and I've I've I've, I like to know the history of things I'm involved with. He actually didn't get into the speaking business. He was a lawyer for a long time until somewhat later in life. I don't remember the exact age, but that's sort of an inspiration for people who are either starting the business in their 50s and 60s or like many of us after the pandemic restarting our businesses uh, in our 50s and 60s. That's actually an inspiration. So tell me a little bit about his background and how he became a speaker. Well, he uh, had always, as a lawyer, and he he uh, retired at 55 from law and somewhere between 51 and 55. But he had been uh, part of Toastmasters International and won both the their international award and the Golden Gavel Award. He'd taken Dale Carnegie, so he knew about professional speaking. But he didn't retire from that until later in life because he had four people and kids in college, and he wasn't willing to take a chance early on. But after we came along and were of sufficient age, He and mom talked, and he said, I really would like to try my hand at this. He had uh, dabbled in real estate and had actually made some albums, recordings for educational purposes in real estate. He was invited to the Real Estate Association in California, and after that speech at 55, he had like 15 invitations around the United States, and that's when he had the talk with mom. And that was when the family decided we were going to go into the business of public speaking. That's nice. Well, I'm the same age now that he was when he got into the business. So hopefully we can look back in in 20 years and I can say, you know, hey, (laughs) I got that restart after the pandemic, but I was the same age as Cavett. So absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So what led him to found the National Speakers Association back in the 1970s? Well, he had done some research with meeting planners and asked them whether they had, because they invited politicians in and sometimes prominent sports figures, celebrity types. He said, why don't you invite a professional speaker? And he thought, oh, no, one of those guys, he told dirty jokes and sold 
product from the platform the whole time. It it was a mess. I'm never inviting one of those guys back. So my dad was aware that there was potential for an industry, but the standard needed to be brought up in the eyes and ears of people who could invite them in. So he spoke to some people around. There were people who, who Earl Nightingale, people of Paul Harvey, some of those kind of guys were, were doing some speaking around. And so he, he was getting the idea that it was an idea whose time had come. And he, he invited a few people together in the summer in Arizona around the Camelback Inn and just exchanging ideas around the swimming pool. And everybody had such a great time that they decided to come back the next year. And there were more people who came forward. And so after about five years, five or six years of doing this, he started really getting the idea that we needed to get some bylaws and try and grow this idea that time had come. And a lot of people said, oh, no, people have tried it before, but, you know, that people are always trying to get speeches for themselves. No, but my dad talked to Dr. Norman Vincent Peale if he would come and speak. And he said, I'll tell you what, Cabot, if you can keep the organization going for five years, I will come and speak to your group. And he did. Apparently in Chicago, I believe it was. And after that, the we got about 60 new members and my dad stopped having to put his own money into it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And we are all so glad that, that he did that and he stuck with it and he had the vision for an association that could bring speakers together and raise both those standards and the visibility of what it is to be a speaker. So, Lee, I want to jump into the meat of today's episode, and that is about leaving a legacy. How do you leave a legacy? And your first tip goes back to one of the values of NSA, which is abundant generosity. So why is abundant generosity important if you're going to leave a long-term legacy? Well, if you truly unselfishly are giving your gifts forward, your wisdom, your ideas, your philosophy, then you may not see the results of the seeds that you're planting. And if at the very opening of the book, Leaving a Lasting Legacy, that my dad and I wrote together, it has a poem, and, and it's about planting seeds and you sitting under a tree that you may never see the seeds that, are, uh, that grow to fruition. And my dad believed that 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 was the whole idea that you didn't want to think small you wanted to think really big and that you may not see the fruits of your your vision you may not see the fruits of what you're giving but you have to have faith that they are going to make a difference in the world so this idea of this abundant generosity and, and planting those seeds and, and really helping other people. One of the things I've heard from so many people is how your dad was always willing to sit down and talk to somebody who wanted to know about this industry or, or anything that, that he could help them with. And so when they first put the industry together, I've heard some talk that there were some speakers who told Cavett, you know, oh, no, I don't want to be around my competitors. Why would I share ideas? People will just steal my stories or they'll steal my clients. And he had a saying he was famous about that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, about about a piece of pie, right? So what, what was his outlook about being generous and working together? Oh, 
he was famous for saying, why fight over the slice of the pie? Just make the pie bigger. And then everybody gets a bigger piece. That's the only way he could have grown this organization. And it was a very unselfish and, I mean, amazing vision, if you think about it. He he could not have known that it would have grown so much, not only nationally, but internationally. We did get to go to some engagements together, but the amount of effect that it's had in the entire world, I don't think my dad could have even known that. So having that unselfish vision, I don't know how he figured that out. Maybe he just saw the contrast between the associations uh, in his uh law practice and his brother's medical practice maybe he just saw how they were always fighting over the slice of the pie and somehow he was able to click into a wise philosophy that you know that's small thinking that's small potatoes he said that it truly was an idea whose time had come He believed that, and he saw that. I don't know how he saw it, but maybe that's what God gives to us. You know, we we just think we know it, but why doesn't everybody know it? I don't know. I I love the whole concept, and I try very hard to live by it, although I don't always succeed, of the whole idea of let's not fight over the slice of the pie. let's, Let's build a bigger pie, because I personally believe that when we have community, when we have collaboration and when we have conversations, we can solve all the problems in the world. And so I love the idea and I've seen it in the the spirit of Cabot, in the spirit of the National Speakers Association, this idea of helping others. Now, not everybody does it, but there are so many people within the National Speakers Association that if you're a new member or if you're an up and coming speaker, or even if you're somebody, like I said, there's so many people right now who are trying to reinvent and restart their businesses. There are so many people who have your back in this organization, and I think it all goes back to the founding. One of my closest friends in NSA is a man by the name of Dan Burris. During the pandemic, once a month, he would speak, bring people in as well, and talk about ways that we could overcome some of the fear, uncertainty, and doubt of the pandemic. He gave it free for just out of, and, and he's the one who really told me that he believed in my dad's philosophy of abundant generosity. He said he's got it down. He, he understood the value of that and how it, uh, it brings revenue back. But, you know, even more than revenue, it brings reputation back. It brings fun back. It brings excitement and learning back. There's so much more than just the small thinking of, oh, you know, he got a speech, I didn't, blah, blah, blah. That's uh, that's such small potatoes. We all deserve more than that. So I learned a lesson early on when I first got involved back in 2008, 2009, somewhere around there, from my friend Ross Bernstein, who is a new member of the uh, Speaker Hall of Fame in the last couple of years. And Ross said that after he gives a speech, if he's not booked through a bureau, if it's the bureau, it's a little different situation because that's their client. Mm. But most of his bookings, and Ross has a very successful business, most of them are direct bookings. He tells every client 
now that I've spent some time with you, he goes, I have some ideas of who you may want to bring in next year. And Ross said that after a speech is completed, a keynote, he knows two things are true. That company or that association is going to have that meeting next year. And in most cases, they want an entirely different keynote or they want somebody different. They want a different topic. They want a different vibe, a different demographic. So he never tries to sell himself for the next year, even though one out of 100 might work. He'd rather give up that one out of 100 and actually be able to refer 100 other people Mm. to the meeting planners. And it's come back to him in in so much fold. So I've learned that lesson early on that when you are abundant and you help other people and you refer them to others, it's going to help boost your career. So I I think this is a great tip that you've had. And and I'm going to say we should all listen to Lee. And for everyone who's listening to this episode, find a way to go and be abundantly generous to someone in the business today. Beautiful. The spirit of Cabot. Spirit of Cabot all the way. So Lee, your second tip was you know, have the long game mindset, you know, look to the long run of your career. So what what do you mean by that as far as leaving a legacy? Well, the bottom line when I thought of that was reputation, that some people try to take shortcuts and they will steal other people's material or they will, you know, not be entirely honest about this or that, fudging a little bit. Because they get desperate, which is certainly not a spirit of generosity. So they are not aware that this is an association, this is an industry that is based on integrity, honesty, creativity, being dependable, those kinds of things. And so that is critical that people don't try to take the shortcuts. Think of your career 10 or 15 years down the line. But then I started thinking, okay, well, that may contain integrity, honesty, dependability. But it also has to do with lifelong learning. You've got to have the long game in mind. And my dad would sit in the front row, as many people will attest to, And take notes at 89 years old, he would be taking notes on how to live better, how to live more abundantly. He was never through learning. So it contains all those things, building a reputation that you can be proud of and constantly learning. Well, and all, gosh, there's so much there. And the first, the first thing that came to mind was this idea of really realizing that this, this isn't a career you jump into and get, you know, top of the game, you know, six months after you got here and then just ride it forever. It, it takes a little bit of time to build that reputation <laughs> and you don't want to build it based on sort of a straw foundation, because if, if you lie, cheat, steal, fudge, whatever it is, eventually people are going to find out. They do. And they do find out. We have an ethics committee in NSA, and I've seen only a couple of people, but I've seen that happen where, you know, that the ethics committee uh, has to slap the hands or whatever. Um, But industry wide, too, for even people who aren't in NSA, which I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't be. But it's an industry wide and lifelong consideration. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and you know, my thought on that is, is that if you, you know, fudge and lie, people find out. The other thing is if you badmouth people or try to undermine somebody, steal a client or steal one of their stories or, or their or their content, 
the interesting thing is someone always tells. So it's like, I always laugh that, you know, it's a, it's a small little business. And if you're whispering nasty stuff behind somebody's back, someone's going to go tell them you said it. So the long game is number one, your own reputation, you know, for the fact that you're not going to get be top of the game in six months. The second thing is, is that the people you meet along the way are going to be important to you later because so much of the business is word of mouth and so many speakers get referrals from other speakers. So therefore having integrity and supporting others and having that generosity, as we talked about in the first tip, really does play into that long game. Beautiful, Tom. Exactly. So, and then the final thing that I sort of heard you say in, in all of that about, about playing the long game was also the fact that you play the long game, even when you're way down the road, don't fall into the trap that, you know, Hey, I founded this association. I'm one of the top speakers in the world. I'm Cavett Robert. I'm 89 years old. What can I learn from this young person on stage? No, that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was he's sitting in the front row and he's thinking, how can I be better at 90? How can I be better at 95? And that's an amazing lesson because it happens not just to speakers. It happens in every industry that after you reach that top of the game mm -hmm. and you're asked to come teach other people, you forget that you can learn from those brand new speakers. And I made a goal sort of coming out of the of the pandemic that one of the things I was going to do was try to learn from those 30 something year old speakers who got in the business last year or got in <laughs> because they had a Zoom account because the ones that are being successful the business has changed. Yeah. It's shifted. I could learn from someone, even though I have 14 years, I could learn from someone who started six months ago. So I think that's great that your dad did that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, uh, you have to reinvent yourself. Most people have to reinvent themselves in this industry. And that is going to require a constant uh, attitude of learning. No, that, that, that is, that is awesome. So we have an award in the national speakers association that, uh, there's, there's two things that happen at the end of the, the annual conference of influence every year. And that is five people, or usually it's five are admitted into the speaker hall of fame. And then one person wins a special award that's known as the Cavett award. And this is part of the legacy about your father. Can you describe what is the Cavett award and why is it such a special award? And no offense to anybody in the hall of fame. I think it's the most important award that NSA has. My dad felt that it wasn't necessarily a, an award for the best speaker, the most eloquent, the most charismatic. No, it was the person who did the most for the industry and unselfishly helped grow other people. So you could have this vision of the spirit of Cabot going generation after generation. So that that's the distinction. And we talk about being a Cabot for someone else, Tom, and that someone was a great mentor someone who unselfishly helped me grow my industry and my career and my vision of the industry. It helped me grow my business into a lifestyle because that's what it affects. We are not just speakers. We are speakers who have families, we have friends that we need to attend to. It's a life it's more than just a career. It's a life. And that is what the spirit of Cabot was all about, is making sure that you keep your wife happy, keep your family 
growing and your kids happy because it's hard when you're on the road a lot. It's hard. And if he sold a lot of product, we each got 20 bucks. So we learned early. <laughs> we learned early that, you know, if dad was home too long, we'd say, and we needed a little extra cash, we'd say, dad, don't you need to go out and sell a little product? <laughs> so we made a family business out of it. We helped to to package up books and tapes and send it off. We we were part of the entrepreneurship and the free enterprise system. Very <laughs> exciting. I love that. Well, like I said, I, I, I think very highly of the Cavett Award and everybody who has received it over the years. Your father, of course, being named after him and him being the first recipient. And you mentioned the fact that we have a saying within NSA, like, who's your Cavett? Who's my Cavett? And I don't know where maybe that began. I first heard that when Gary Rifkin mm-hmm. received the Cavett Award. Yeah. And he talked about the people who were generous to him when he showed up, when he people opened the doors and and showed him the industry and welcomed him into the NSA family. And I've always thought so special about the fact that from that forward, everybody has talked about who's my Cavett. And, you know, my first time going to Influence, of course, it wasn't called Influence then in 2009. It was just the, the summer convention. But there were four people who I met in the bar. Now, that doesn't mean that I was drinking a lot, but maybe I was in the bar a lot. You know, hey, whatever. Fun. And th- there, there were four people who were very well-established people in the organization. They easily could have said, well, I'm going to rent a suite and just invite my little clique of friends and we'll get around just us. But instead, they were in the bar and I had the the little first-timer ribbon on, on the thing and all of them said, oh, it's your first time. They asked me questions and they exposed me to things that really changed the trajectory of my business and my life. And I'm just going to go ahead, since we're here and it's episode 100, I'm going to go ahead and name who my four cavits are because they were the people... They were the people who really made me feel welcome in the organization at that first influence. And I've never missed one since because of these people. So really quick, my cavits were Jim Pensero, who actually taught me how to sort of go into the sales side of business as a brand new speaker. He gave me some tips that I've used to this day. The second one was Pam Burke. Uh, She offered me a glass of wine and she told me she was there with some of her grandkids and her nephews. And she told me about the youth program that NSA has. And I didn't know about it. It was my first time there, but I had a 13 year old at home and and then an eight year old also. But uh, when I got back, I invited the 13 year old to go. And Jackie spent four years in the youth program and four years as one of the counselors, the leaders. And then uh, Kate came on and did five years as uh, one of the campers or or participants and would have stayed as a leader. But the pandemic came and and it didn't work out for her to be a leader. But that not only changed my life, it changed the direction of the life of, of both of my kids. So I'm always so grateful to Pam for exposing me to that program because I'm, you know, I was there by myself. I might have never heard about it. And then the next person was Neen James, who invited me to a meeting uh, of the NSA XY group because, you know, this was 15, 14 years ago. I was a little bit on the younger side of, of the crowd and I sort of found my people. Some of the best friends I have in my life came out of participating in the early days of NSA XY. So I'm always grateful for her for that because she was very welcoming into the organization. And then the fourth one was Patrick Henry and his wife, Leslie, and they essentially adopted me at that first conference and our friendship has never stopped for 14 years. So that was a, a long piece of me stealing that to share my cavits. But I think that's so special that that goes back to your dad, the idea of abundancy and the idea of the long game, because all of those people 
impacted me with their generosity and all of them set me on a path for the long game. So I, I thought I'd take advantage of that just to share that in this moment. I'm going to just plug in also that November 14th is called the Spirit of Cabot Day. That's his birthday. And the Spirit of Cabot Day is when you is when you become or act as a mentor to someone unselfishly, not expecting anything in return. Nice. And that's what all of them did for you. And that's what we do at NSA. That's how we have grown the industry to such an extent. And I know every one of those beautiful people you mentioned, and I'm so glad that they did their a good job being your cabot. They, they did. I got a little emotional telling that story. So, uh, you oh, know, I, I, it is emotional. It's it's so beautiful. So as we wrap this up, your father had a poem, sort of a poem, a toast that he was famous for giving and gave many times. Would you share that with everybody, Lee? I would love to. This is what he would give at the end of NSA. May the hinges of friendship never rust. May the wings of love never lose a feather. And may this wonderful circle of love and learning grow deeper and stronger each year and not be broken as long as we live. Because they tell me that a bell is not a bell until we ring it. A song is not a song until we sing it. Love was not put in our hearts to stay. Love is only love when we give it away. So here's to those we love, and here's to those that love us, and here's to those that we love that love those that love us. So let's keep this organization a loving organization and never forget that life is our greatest gift and living nobly our finest art. And what we can do, we ought to do. And what we ought to do, we can do. And what we ought to do and can do, I know by the grace of God, we will do. Good luck. God bless. I love every one of you. Wow. Lee, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and thank you for being guest number 100 on Speakernomics and being with us today. And thank you for, to your father for having the, the foresight to found the National Speakers Association and creating what I have called my warm nest of friends. Mm -hmm. So thank you to, to him for, for starting that because it's had a huge influence on my life and the life of so many people who are listening to this program. So Lee, thank you. Thank you, Tom. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. Yay! It's episode number 100 of Speakernomics. If you have never left a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast joy, go leave a review for the podcast so more people can find Speakernomics and discover the National Speakers Association and that warm nest of friends. Then join us every single week for more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money and have a better business as a professional speaker. And always, I mean always remember the motto of this podcast speak, get paid, repeat. <laughs>